We've had Me Too. Now we have this dumb fuck, Doug Ford. Already he is changing Ontario for the worst, reverting the sex ed curriculum to a time when Napster was all the rage. He canceled increased education on indigenous issues in schools. What the fuck's next? Birthdays? He needs to be stopped. And we need to move beyond awareness. We need fucking action. So support the work being done by us, your resident feminist diehard bitches, for initiatives like Orders Up, our clapback against the restaurant industry's culture of sexual harassment, and support a podcast that has your feminist back. Check us out at patreon.com slash badandbitchy to support independent, intersectional feminist media as we form the resistance against Doug Ford. Stay woke, stay bitchy. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erica. And I'm Amy. And Aaron is... I think not in the country yet. I'm not sure because I, I don't honestly can't tell. <laughs> I don't want to dox her, but she's in Hawaii, so whatever. <laughs> I remember when she tweeted out how um, there's so many women lo- like at municipal and local and and statewide politics. Yeah, she's organizing down there now. We lost her to Hawaii. Apparently. <laughs> apparently. So... It's been a while. It's been a little while. Yeah. 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 I guess it'll be like three weeks yeah. or two weeks in a bit. Yeah. So how's your, how have your two weeks or three weeks, three weeks been? Not bad. Um, I can't complain. Getting a lot of, getting a lot of sun, getting that vitamin D. Did you go to Oceaga? I did go to Oceaga. And how was it? It was too hot. Oh. It was too hot. The days are so long. I should have done it two out of the three days. It was like kind of grueling by the end. Like I you needed did all like, three. Yeah, it was a lot. So it was a little much. But there were some Ozmax. Okay, so which acts stood out? Anderson Pack, ridiculous, so uh-huh. good. That was probably the best show. And yeah, 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 that was like a bucket list show for me, and it was next level. Like Karen O was really giving it, so it was pretty sweet. Awesome. How about you? Um, what have I been doing for the month of August? Uh. I can't remember what I did yesterday. <laughs> so I went to this, I know I went to this women's luncheon that was really surprisingly amazing. Cool. And I say a surprisingly amazing because it was intersection, like truly intersectional. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow. And I was, I was honestly, I'm looking like a kid, like, wow. Who put it on? Um, oh gosh, you're gonna. Y- there's a woman. It's called Women Power Lunch, I think it's okay. called. Yeah. And I can't remember her name, but shout out to her. Um, sorry, girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got my tooth taken out. Yeah. Yeah. So you're sedated so, for a bit. <laughs> okay. So this is all because of popcorn. Is that what happened? Yeah. This is like a, like, it is going to be like internet folklore. Like, people will be like, yeah. my friend of a friend had to lose all their teeth because of, but like, the story will just get yeah, like, really developed. distorted. Yeah. I have pics. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, so now I can't eat popcorn Ugh. because I love chewing on the kernels and that just ravaged my tooth. And this, it, like, it's this whole saga too. I just, I, it's just, I, ugh. 
So anyway. So you're feeling better though, I hope. Yeah, and the swelling's gone down, so I'm presentable to <laughs> the outside world. That's why world. we couldn't record. She couldn't show her face on the podcast. That <laughs> <laughs> and my mouth was frozen, too. Uh, well, the, I know. I'm just <laughs> I know. <but> it's <laughs> like the face for radio. Yeah. You have a face <laughs> for radio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I truly... Now I'm like, I'm like, I don't ever want to go through this again. That's fair. I mean, fair. I don't know how people do it. I, and thank you. Go- thank God for dental insurance. I will say that. Uh, I can't wait for the day till it's part of our public health care. Thank you. It makes no sense. They're like, they're, these are the lesser body parts. We've, we've taken all the body parts and we've, we've put them on <laughs> A scale of, of insignificance and your mouth just unfortunately just all of it is just yeah not it's not like it's a part of your face or anything yeah <laughs> your eyeballs too we you know i think you can do without so we're just they're non-essential <laughs> <laughs> totally all right let's get into it so on this week in feminism we start out with the ever supreme maxime bernier who, on the anniversary of last year's deadly white nationalist rally in Charlottesville, conservative MP Maxime Bernier claimed diversity is going to, quote, destroy, unquote, Canada. Bernier, who narrowly lost the conservative leadership to Andrew Scheer in 2017, fired off a bizarre series of pre-planned tweets in both of Canada's official languages Sunday night, attacking PM Justin Trudeau for promoting, quote, diversity, unquote, at his weekend, at this weekend's Taste of the Danforth Food Festival in Toronto, where the more, most recent shooting took place. In a spate of tweets, Bernier had these, fall, these few pearls of wisdom to deploy. Number one, diversity is not our strength. It will destroy what has made us such a great country. Number two, Bernier claimed diversity causes distrust, social conflict, and potential violence. Number three, despite being repressed in the past, Bernier argued ethnic, religious, linguistic, sexual, and other minorities now have, quote, the most freedom to express their identity, unquote though he later added that they need to stop being different and to conform to orthodox conservative cultural traditions. So, Amy, oh, you're already shaking your head. So I'm not even going to ask you a question. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What would you have asked me? I would have been like, How honestly. How do you know where to start with this I shit? know. It, uh, my question would have been like, what the fuck? I mean, it's it's been really interesting um, to watch everyone sort of uh, trip over themselves trying to respond to this. Um, we know Bernie has always thought this. We know he's not alone. There are definitely other people in the conservative caucus who shared his view. Andrew Shearer's resistance to full out denouncing what he said um, tells us as much. But I mean, he's he's in a strong camp with Kelly Leach and those ilk. And even people who aren't 
so against diversity, like the Michelle Rempels of the world, who have still been using immigration, like using this similar language on certain files, especially around new immigrants. I mean, it's all part of the same the same school of thought. So as much as he has been really brazen in how he's put this out there, I think we can't just say it's just Bernier and it's not the rest of the conservative party or it's just him and it's a particular person. I mean, props to the conservatives who have to go out there and be on, like, you know, I saw Deepak Oprah tonight, like, on CBC Power and Politics, like, being like, oh, no, I totally disagree with them. Diversity is so important. I'm like, I feel for you, buddy. They have to share a caucus with this fucker. But, like, you know, you like, your party has to do more than that, and you've not shown that you actually understand what, like, meaningful diversity and inclusivity mean when on the next, like, you know, you can denounce this on the one hand, but the next day, your party's pushing motions to restrict access and like, you know, move forward with mass deportations and and the like and and all with the same tone and tenor of being anti-immigration, anti-migrant. And well, I think the anti-immigration rhetoric and um, racism have a pretty deep intersection. Um, And. It's it's not what this is what I find about conservatives in general here, the United States, et cetera, et cetera. They court these right wing, super right wing ideas. They extol them as policy and then they wonder why they their party, they they attract all the racists. (laughs) And I'm just like, because you're racist, like, Mm -hmm. like, like like people find each other it's not it's not it's it's really not rocket science well yeah and there are a lot of people who have been trying to point out oh you know look at all the waves of immigration that came under previous conservative governments and da da da. it's like yeah but that doesn't i mean first of all a lot of that was economic migration like they favored people who could pay their way into this country the point system but yeah Mm. for sure and and you know, different the different classes of, of uh, immigration uh, avenues you can get into. I mean, these, you know, these are still the same the same party that is anti a certain kind. I mean, there's a shadism to it mm-hmm. almost like mm-hmm. a certain like previous waves of immigrants are seen as fine mm-hmm. up until a point. And it's like as they, it gets darker. <laughs> 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 it's like, I mean, part of his tweets was like, oh, you know, we I I, I believe in diversity. But it's too much. It's excess. It's too much diversity. And it's like, how do you measure? Like, how are we measuring what too much diversity is? And like, the only answer to that is clearly like the color of the skin and the regions people are coming from are not the ones that you like. It's nothing to do with people coming in or out of the country. Like, it's nothing to do with migration. Mm -hmm. It has everything to do with you picking and choosing what kind of diversity you like. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're like the European idea of like, continental european diversity great mm-hmm. but anything mm-hmm. south of that then it starts to get weird anything south of sicily yeah. and you're fucked like traditional like funky different outfits from the head down but if you got headgear we don't want you right like, that's like it does that's seem the line like it's it's visual it's very visual and it's very like it's so knee-jerk like reality yeah you made me think of something just now i feel like it's commodity driven that they are treating people as though they can cut them up into certain pieces and commodify them sure. and then like judge them on how white they are. 
yeah, in terms of value, skin right. cone, um, because he also talked about Western values yeah. and cultural traditions. I'm like, what the? F- I'm like, who are you talking to? Who are these Canadians? Let's define who you think of as Canadian. Yeah. yeah. And and part of it is that we we commodify diversity. Like we whenever do. you read an article about that extols the values of diversity, it's always like, oh, but your your business is going to do better. You're going to make right. more profits. Right. You're going to reach new markets that you've never reached before. And yep. like that could all well be true, but that's not exactly like oh, like that's again it's it's super cap it's like a very capitalist idea very of capitalist. why diversity matters. It's it's it's, it's this it's this idea that you can plug and play people. Yeah, and and that's what I don't like about w- even the people who are for immigration. Yeah. that's what I don't like about it for sure because they always talk about the value people bring economically yeah and that's when you get into the racist view of oh well you can't bring your like the your in the nigerian uncle or whatever the yeah the yeah, term, yeah yeah whatever, yeah whoever it was yeah whether it was, was it trump or stephen miller or someone one of them what, like someone <laughs> in the way you're just like you can't be bringing your nigerian uncle and it's like first like first of all go fuck yourself like what is that because it's, it's it's implicit in that sentence is that there's gonna be like a freeloader issue yes but like even if that were the case like family reunification has like so many other merits someone's value to their family has nothing to do with what they're contributing society nor should it or they're contributing society in other way it has nothing to do with how they contribute to your p- wallet and the economy and the way you see it they're contributing in so many other ways and family reunification slash like that kind of like cultural community oriented migration is valuable for so many other reasons but part of what pissed me off the most about Bernier's rant, similar to this, is the idea that people are ghettoized. Yeah. That they opt out into yeah. like segregated communities mm-hmm. and refuse to integrate. And he actually says people refusing he, to integrate. He is may a, have is even the used the word ghettoized. Yeah, he does yeah. say in, in, get, like, in, in ghettos. And so it's, it's really like, which is, I, I've always taken a huge issue with that. For so many people, when they arrive as new Canadians, of course from another country first of all most people come here one because they're fleeing persecution or or looking for economic opportunity or you know some kind like some kind of freedom they are choosing to leave family and like so much behind because they believe in the values that he sets out freedom openness like that whether you could be muslim and hijabi and still believe in freedom and democracy the fact that he makes it as if those things are mutually exclusive is just fucking ridiculous but that's why people come here and in fact like that's what's so amazing about like an like an you know immigrant's journey here not to like make it sound so like romantic but yeah 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 but there is like I don't think people appreciate how serious, like how serious of an undertaking and how much work and effort and research and like, you know, saying goodbye to your, like how, how much you're trading away. It's not easy either. Right. Like you're like trading a lot for, for these freedoms and you, no one appreciates the sacrifice of being like becoming a Canadian more than my immigrants. I think more than white people who are born into it, they appreciate the values of of living in this society more than anyone else. These white people born in this country probably don't even know the values of this country in the sense that, you know, they they talk about it. They say the words, but they don't get it. They don't vote. They're entitled. 
they and they are the perpetrators of all the harm he's talking about when he talks about violence what violence is he talking about because the violence that we've been seeing as of late is not from diverse quote-unquote people it's from white dudes Mm -hmm. from incels and from white nationalists and white Mm -hmm. supremacists like whether in like the the fredericton shooting how tragic was that yeah dude who's like just completely bought into these like white supremacy anti-immigration ideas and then then you know within the same week you have bernier tweeting this shit like his it's Bernier's incitations that are actually leading to violence. Well, and he's the divider for sure. And those are and it's it's white supremacy and those people who are actually against openness, against uh, democracy, who are against like <laughs> you know what I mean. So Chantal Hebert, um wrote a recent column in the Star, or it was yesterday, um, and it talks about how. uh, a sort of bigger political picture, Mm. which is that Bernier strategically did this the week before the first convention where Andrew Scheer has been um, leader of the party. So there's this idea that, okay, there's this space. He's obviously claiming a space. And this is a space that can only be claimed by a conservative party are a right wing party mm. like uh, you know you can't you can't go into the ndp and say hey fuck immigration right mm-hmm. i mean that's just real sure so um the the idea is that or what she was saying was that he fired off these tweets sort of to undermine Shear's leadership ahead of the convention and if they don't muzzle this man or do something about him, he might derail them next year. Sure. And he would do it just for spite. He got like 50 he- cent like spike going on. Like- yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and he was he was pretty like bitter during the whole leadership, too. And he he was I mean, there was like a yeah, a few standout moments where you really saw the the claws come out to reverse that gendered uh, expression. But yeah, I mean. And it explains, I mean, I don't know, it doesn't explain the why, like, Andrew Shear's been so squeamish about kind of putting Bernier in his place. He has, a, except for Bernier does have a lot of supporters. That's right. He's I think quite of, popular I think in of it circles. as, like, the 2010, um, when the, um, what is it, the tax, the Tea Party came about? Sure. yeah. And nobody muzzled them. Yeah. And so now the inmates yeah, are running were, the asylum because yeah. they wanted the votes. As in, yeah, I was going to say, because yeah. they were they were active, like they were getting to people who had not been active before. And they were like, well, you know, who else are they going to vote for? It's fine. We'll just, you know, we'll just we'll yeah, just do that. We'll and I up along this in this new big tent Republican Party that just never came to be really big tent. Give me a break. Like uh, anyway. So I have another I have another question for Mm. you which is under what circumstances should white men especially those who have never experienced diversity speak on diversity none (laughs) i vote for none (laughs) i think they need to sit in the back and shut the fuck up yeah but that's yeah I mean, as you were saying the question, at what point should white men, I was just going to say never, I didn't know what the question <laughs> was. Um, no, I mean, it's, um, 
obvious like whatever he's a policymaker. he should be able to have an opinion mm-hmm. but your opinion should be fucking informed mm-hmm. like this is some of the most ignorant ass shit i've read in recent times and written in like such a diatribe form that like like where did it even come from and the timing of like it being at the same time as the unite the right rally and like yeah. all these other broader conversations yeah. that are happening and i can't remember if it was before or after the fredericton shooting but like either way it's, it's just so upset like it's you just know a the climate after, that yeah. we're in mm-hmm to do this is irresponsible unless you are doing it intentionally to like to be part of that discourse, which is why I 100 percent believe he is a white supremacist mm-hmm. and he has a he has a particular agenda. Oh, and, he is a white supremacist. And he, and yeah. Yeah. And and there's you can't look at it any other way. Um, but, you know, if as a as a politician and as a legislator, of course, he has like he should have an opinion, but it should be fucking educated. Of course, you know, when he was told to uh, read up. Oh, by by (laughs) MP Selena, who basically told him to go Google the terms he was using because he didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. Yeah, I I I did. I did a, a not so silent clap over that. No, she was amazing. I mean, he said that he believed in building a colorblind society. It's just a few months ago. I think we yeah. may have even talked about it. It was in March. And uh, she told him politely to do some research and check his privilege and be quiet. Mm-hmm. And everyone lost their shit over what she said, mm-hmm. which is just so ridiculous. And, like, I think now, I mean, she, mu- she must feel... Vindicated? Vindicated yep. in all of yep. this. Because yep. he's clearly coming from such a place of blatant ignorance. Anyone supporting him right now like, has to be really doing some mental gymnastics to think he has any legitimacy standing on what he says. I, Even, also, I yeah. also didn't like the optics of that. Of him... Um, like oh he was like dressing her down and yeah like like, like, you're gonna dress down a black woman in public about racism seriously like that is a level of entitlement that i just don't even understand but you know this guy is like out there surrounded by people who are handpicked who think exactly the way he does he probably does not have great relationships with the more progressive factions in the party that's right like and he i don't know who can reach him Mm-hmm. Or keep him in check, except to be censured or kicked out of caucus. Yeah. Like, aside from that, I don't know how you rein in someone but like But this that. is the thing. This is my problem with the conservative party. They court the rebel media to come and be their campaign managers, but want to distance themselves from Maxime Bernier. You can't have it both mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. So you're either courting that section or you're not. No, it's true. So it's true. I, 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 speaking of, you know... <laughs> racism in general <laughs> how could we talk about this without talking about trump oh boy so um trump doesn't care about black people we all know that i hate to bring a kanye into this but you know there's there's a little cheek to that hmm. uh, so president donald trump i think this week called former white house staffer amarosa manigo newman the woman who once served as his highest profile black staffer, a dog on Twitter Tuesday morning. Quote, when you give a crazed, crying lowlife a break and give her a job at the White House, I guess it just didn't work out, Trump tweeted. 
Good work by General Kelly for quickly firing that dog, end quote. Trump's Tuesday comments were just his latest insult to Amarosa in recent days. But this particular tweet is drawing outrage for its racialized language, with critics noting that black women have long been referred to as dogs or other animals in an effort to dehumanize them. Trump has a well-established pattern of harshly criticizing black women. In the months since taking office, and even for years before that, President Trump has picked fights with practically everyone. But his critiques of black women, including former Attorney General Loretta Lynch, political analyst Donna Brazile, and former Obama admin official Susan Rice, have at times been especially hostile, not only for what he says, but how the attacks are then amplified by by his political allies and supporters. For example, take Frederica Wilson, who found herself the target of Donald Trump's ire last year when she criticized the reportedly callous way the president spoke to Maisha Johnson, a black grieving military widow, in a phone call. Trump responded by calling the politician, quote, wacky, and by going after Johnson, saying that she had been dishonest about the call. Wilson said she faced numerous death threats in the weeks following the controversy. In September, the president launched several attacks against journalist Jameel Hill, who called Trump a white supremacist on Twitter. White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders later called for Hill to be fired, while Hill was subject to death threats and a suspension from her host position by ESPN. Most recently, the president reignited a long-standing feud with California Representative Maxine Waters, a fierce critic of the Trump administration by calling the House member wacky, unhinged, and low IQ after claiming she incited violence during a a speech in June. A recent analysis from The Guardian found that Trump's criticism of Waters is one of his most sustained political attacks, adding that he has already referred to Waters as low IQ at least seven times this year. As with many others on the list, Waters has faced death threats and protests in the wake of Trump's remarks. In July, a group of black female political strategists and community leaders sent letters criticizing Republican and Democratic Party leadership for their lack of response, noting that the attacks against Waters were heavily racialized and built upon a negative image of black women. Wow. Like, I love that people are cataloging this now. I think it's so impressive that we've moved into a time and it's really unfortunate how we got here where, I mean, this is from that list is from Vox, but like the Washington Post did a rundown of all of the tweets and saw how many people Trump had attacked and which he had used the most like derogatory terms towards. And 13 of the 15 people were like black people or racialized. I think it was even broader, but all of which is just to say you have like, you know, CNN having punditry panels like, so he's a racist. How racist is he, though? Like the oh, racist. Oh, they didn't invite Conrad Black. <laughs> <laughs> but like the racist part is implied. Like I was listening, yeah. you know, listening to ja- Jake Tapper every night this week. And it's like I'm kind of impressed at how like it's just so blatant that we're all like. Uh, there in terms of quantifying how racist he is now, which I don't think we need to do. <laughs> But it's it's interesting. So two things. Number one, um, I agree with you. I love I love the documentation that's happening. Like 
Trump has brought in this new level of fact-checking and mm. documentation, mm. and that is a silver lining. Sure. Um, and I totally agree with that. Uh, second of all, um, I really... Uh, we have to remember that these tweets are now... They're national record. Oh, yeah. So, in other words... They'll be in the library. They'll be in the yeah. Library of Congress. Yeah. So, anybody who wants to look them up, can. And I'm not sure how that's going to go in terms of in the future, because the Republicans, I mean, they may have a, 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 a lift now, mm -hmm. but eventually people will be looking back and thinking, what was wrong with them? Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. And you never want to be on the wrong side of history. But <laughs> the fact that the Library of Congress is documenting these is pretty incredible to me. But um, I, well, I always, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> the only black woman Trump doesn't hate is Oprah. And that's only because she's richer than him. <laughs> I kid you that's not. That's funny. My mom said that. She's like, that's she's like. really on point. He, she said, you know, he likes Oprah because she's richer than him. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, look at you, mommy. She's, I wonder how many times she's had him on his show, on her show, rather. I don't know. She must have. He oh, must yeah. have been on it one more than one occasion. Oh, yeah. They've, yeah. They've, they've socialized. They've been at the same social functions like, yeah. many a times. Um, no, that is. And, and but, you know, God knows what he said about her privately. What I find oh. really frustrating is like all this talk about the so-called N-word video that's apparently out there. He one. Yes, he probably has said it. It probably is on video. But also, you don't need to use a racial slur to be a racist. Like, one, we don't need that proof because we know that he is. But two, he may have never said it in his life. Let's just, like, postulate right. that. And he could still be a racist. Like, people hang on to the N-word as, like, or in other, defining, like, racial slurs yeah. to be, like, that defines what a racist yeah. is. And yeah. it's, like, not at all. Like, you, like, there are people who would never say that word. And the way they act and how they, like, especially in positions of power, actually cause more harm and, like, re replicate racist systems in such a way that's more damaging than one person saying the N-word one time on video. That's true. The person who smiles in your face can be more <laughs> racist than, you know, than people who say the n-word it is yeah that is true like i don't know why people hang on to this n-word thing as though it is the defining moment that you became a racist mm -hmm. no you were a fucking racist yeah the n-word <laughs> is just the follow-up yeah, like yeah, yeah. hello and yeah, it's the cherry on top of your racist ass sunday exactly yeah, yeah. and that steaming bowl of shit yeah like it, I don't, but watching Sarah Sanders try to oh my try to well, two step around this was was entertaining. The for fact me. that she would even like it's so funny because she lies every damn day. Yeah, through her fucking teeth. Yeah, but then the one time that she was like, "Well, I can't. I don't know. I've not spoken to the president. I can't say definitively whether or not there is not a video that <laughs> him saying that was like the one time you choose not to lie." <laughs> I know. Because she doesn't know well, what Amarosa has up her a, sleeve. Any day now, I think that video is going to come out. Amarosa. I mean, it's nuts to me that it hasn't already. Because they, I mean, anyway, it's out, it, like, there's just, well, there's countless Apprentice footage, right? Yeah. Like, there's, and plus I'm sure other things that he's appeared on, like the Billy, Bu Billy Bush tapes, right? Like, there's. Yeah, a, yeah, there's exactly. No, no, 
you know, no end of the the footage that someone's probably already sh- uh, sifted through. That's that's out there. So how do you feel about Amorosa and her like mixtape like rollout? Seriously, because <laughs> she just released her book. Yeah, and then she's like, I have all these tapes, and at first I was like, Yeah, okay. Until she started releasing them, yeah. and then and then the she has the whole White House shook. Yeah. And it's unreal the lengths they're going to responding to her. Like, just let it lie. It'll be old news in a day. And they just like keep giving it air yeah. in this like really bizarre way. But I mean, it's 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 another distraction. Like they love this like chaos, confuse people method instead of focusing on, you know, the various like policies they've botched and like, you know, whether it's and, and issues that they're ignoring, whether it's you know, a crisis here and a crisis there, they'd much rather. They're always in crises. Yeah. So I I have to say, I'm no lover of Amorosa, Amorosa, but I will say this. If there's anybody who can, who can match him in terms of like just deceit and fuckery, it's her. Yeah. Like, I feel like she's our monster right now. They're cut from the same cloth. (laughs) Yeah. And and it explains why they got on so well for so many years. Right. And why he was so keen to to hire her. You know, aside from the fact that she was one of probably five black people he did tolerate. (laughs) 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 Um, I mean, I... I can assi- I'm just assuming so yeah. no one else works in the White House. No. And you heard the uh, Kellyanne Conway clip where they were like, okay, who's the who's the most senior like black person left now? And she's like, uh, this guy, we don't know his name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who's like, like works knew for... his first name when I worked <laughs> in PBO or something. It's like, okay, <laughs> weird. Um, it's uh it's pretty um pretty amusing it's pretty amusing i don't know how much longer she can milk this i'm i i I bet you there's more tapes i don't know if there's been a thread of that yet she just wants a bestseller and she's on her way to getting it yeah yeah i gotta say that's a a small part of me does want to read the book right yeah i I can't help it and i wouldn't read all of it because i also bought the hillary book not that the two are remotely the same but I was like, ah, this was fun for like a couple chapters, but I feel like I got the gist. Like I don't. How, how I, was I, the Hillary book, to be honest? I only got through two chapters. <laughs> is um, Hillary as boring as I think she is? No, it's actually really funny. Is it? It really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The first two chapters got. Oh, I'll, I'll find out. I'll read. I'll send you some of the funnier excerpts. Like she's pretty sassy. There was like a. There was one anecdote about like George Bush on it. Like the because it starts off and she describes like inaugur like Trump's inauguration because she had to go remember and she was like trying to keep a straight face mm-hmm. and like seem like you know she's gonna be like you know whatever gracious in losing and like George Bush is there and he was just like. I can't believe we're fucking here. Like he said something like really sassy mm-hmm. and she was just, just like anyway recounting that anecdote was like pretty weird. Like, damn it, you humanized George Bush. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> so, the humanization of George W. Bush is like my biggest yes, pet peeve. Yes. One of these days we will talk about this on the podcast, but oh. I am tired of this like nostalgia for George W. Oh, it's Bush awful. that took you into a war that irrevocably has caused so much well, and damage. The, yeah, and the and the longest war that America's ever been in, Afghanistan, still going strong. Oh, by the way, as a side note, you know, um, okay, so this isn't the listeners. This is an aside. Okay, <laughs> so um, I read today that the military apparently Trump gave the military more money to to beef up and recruit because yeah, you know. Sure. 
fine. Okay. <laughs> so, well, yeah, it's it's what they do. It's what they do. Okay. So why can't the military find anybody to recruit? <laughs> because one of the reasons is because people just don't want to sign up for a long protracted fucking war. Yeah. And yeah, and who even knows what it's what it's about anymore? Nobody what knows the what the goals are. Right. Is. Yeah. Right. They're like, mm, sorry, no thanks. Yeah, no, that's that's totally like they honestly cannot find recruits. Like it's a crisis for them. I mean, they I find that hilarious. How long ago did they say they were going to shut it down? Right, like it's just it's it's been pretty ridiculous. And they're you know what you know what the article. Well, maybe if we could invest more in educate because a lot of them too fail the test, the aptitude test. Right, and they're like, well, maybe we should start, you know, increased education in schools, motherfucker, just so that they could recruit for the military. Yes. Yes. Yeah, no shit. You yes. can't increase education in school, but that ain't why. No. Like, what the fuck? Like, you cut. That's so I, backwards. Oh, my God. That's okay. So backwards. That's my aside. Anyway. That's a fair aside. That's a fair aside. I, but I found it funny. <laughs> so it was Schadenfreude yeah, no, funny. For sure. For sure. <laughs> I was going to say, speaking of George W. Bush, Michael uh, Moore has a documentary coming out. Oh, really? Uh, it's, uh, you'll, you'll remember Fahrenheit 9-11. So this is called Fahrenheit 11-9 because of the day of the election in twi- of, of Trump in 2016. Ooh. And he's framing it as like. You know, we all like remember how awful this is, and like, uh, like people tried to like in like the George Bush era and how we were like certain things were sort of like brewing then and like whatever, and it's gotten so much worse now. Like that's sort of the framing of it and like how like that period of history, but mostly about the the Trump era. I'm like, finally, someone who's not erasing the fact that we went through that shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, it, and I do partially blame. Like the, the media, because they mm. don't n- they don't seem to know how to deal and um, they don't seem to be able to like, to be fair, CNN has done a lot of pushback. Washington Post has done sure, some. Sure. But it's but it's so in the moment and reaction. Yeah. No one does like no one has been able to put together the, like the long the story like the history arc. that yeah, came through. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the Tea Party, and I I remember one because I was in school and doing like a lot of um, poli sci research around like Tea Party thinking and stuff. And I also lived in D.C. at the time of the P- Tea Party, so I attended some oh, Tea wow. Party r- rallies, which were really traumatizing. Like by attended, I mean I right. stuck through and like took pictures of their shitty signs right. for internet shaming purposes. Yeah, and it was like people had like fight made, the like, power, giant, pu- <laughs> giant puppets, and like essentially effigies of Obama dressed in like you know a turban and just like crazy ass shit yeah. like it was like unreal um and i was also there when i don't know if you remember john stewart and stephen colbert did their joint rally yep. too like there were all these it was like actually such an interesting time and no one talks about the tea party anymore but i'm like you all were com- like part of making this shit happen like we were all there for that this is all part of that history of like like the, like the, these movements have been happening for a long time and everyone's acting like it happened overnight or like that Trump is like the only like good on like, I mean, it's impressive that, you know, what whether it's Trump or Bannon or whoever ha- like had their ear to the ground or knew enough to like understand pe- the frustration and how specifically it was vocalized. But I think anyone could have picked up on that I from think, as early as 2009, yeah, well, 2010. Oh, you know, so two things. Number one, you're right. The reporting is reactionary. It's not investigative mm-hmm. and it's not it does not link to any sort of any sort of history. Mm-hmm. It's just there. 
Yeah. That's what I, I agree with you. That's what we're missing in reporting. And people don't talk about social movements and like right. social movements on the right or the left. Right. You know, like whether it, I mean, whether it's Occupy and where that's gotten us today in terms of like left, like people don't have an appreciation for telling those stories of who's organizing. What does it look like on the ground? What how do people pass messages? How do people communicate? Well, unless there's it's a blog idea. Unless it's yeah. Russian bots, no one really seems to care. Yeah. I'm I, like, that's really interesting. Like, if you want to know how this all spread, like, we know what the root of, like, we know, well, we know the roots are the early roots of, like, the first manifestations of these things. I was, it's it's funny you should mention that. Um, that's one of the things that I'm trying to pay attention to is the fake news, Russian bots, data, everything, everything about that big data mm-hmm. and basically how it's used and where it's gotten us to. So, um, for example, I think I think the Tea Party is exactly the base of the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. When they talk about the base, those are the people they co-opted and decided that they wanted to keep for voting purposes. Yeah. They were active. They, they, they organized and they voted. I really think Steve Bannon is probably the one who had his ear to the ground. Mm-hmm. Trump didn't know shit. No, but he has a read on people. But he does way, have a read. Marketing That's right. That he is a marketing instinct. genius. I will say that. But like, but really, it's probably a lot of social listening or listening yeah. that they actually did yeah. and actually went down to the grassroots. Do you think that Occupy? came sort of evolved out of anti-globalization movements yep yeah i mean yeah. it's the next phase yeah. of like what we saw the, that's the another turn of, like the early 2000s that's another interesting sort of of arc that i want to see a story on for sure i mean part of it is that it was co-opted yes that people love to use the language of of occupy mm-hmm. also in some in commercialized and in like capitalist ways and yeah you know like even just like the at, the, at its core like the language of the 90 like 99 versus one percent and like mm-hmm. everyone uses that without any re- like exactly. radical or real appreciation yeah. Yeah. for what that means about or the one percent yeah and then i mean you know and it's um and I mean, a lot of like organizers and people from different like with different issues came out of that. But you remember like the coverage for o- Occupy was always awful. Yes, people it couldn't was. understand that you would have collectives of people with different issues who all agreed to like meet and organize together. Like there was no ap- there was no sense in the mainstream of what solidarity was. And there was no appreciation like, well, what of mean? that. What's yeah. this for? Yeah. yeah. Why are you guys doing this? Like yeah. no one knew. And it's like yeah. everyone at this rally gave me a di- like all the reporters were like everyone at this like wh- rally or whatever the tent were like we're giving me a different answer for why they were here. It's so confused and strange and you're like Oh yes. What? And I remember, remember when that? they were saying there's no leader. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> and, and I was like, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> that is yeah. like, uh, that was the report. There's no leader. Like, oh my God. Yeah. How can we do this with that? And I think that's a reflection of just newsrooms being too elitist to understand. Totally. Yeah. And so the newsrooms have been victims of their own choices. Mm-hmm. And I you know they may be fighting back but i don't even find that they're that they're uh, fighting for what i'm not Mm -hmm. even sure anyway Mm -hmm. that is a gross deviation from (laughs) omarosa so i will move this along (laughs) 
but it I will keep it in because it's an interesting conversation to have because okay. I haven't heard it <laughs> like anywhere oh, not to say that it hasn't been had in you know anyway moving on so Ottawa to declare a federal holiday to mark the leg- legacy of the residential school system how kind of them <laughs> The Liberal government will declare a federal statutory holiday to mark the tragic legacy of the residential school system, fulfilling a recommendation made by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. The the TRC's call to action 80 asked for the establishment for a National Day of Truth and Reconciliation to honor the survivors of residential schools. Two dates are under consideration and the decision will be made following further consultations. Quote, the overall picture is that it is important to have that day set aside so Canadians continually get it and will never, ever forget the impact of genocide in the residential schools on Indigenous peoples. End quote. Perry Belgrade, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, said in an interview with the Globe and Mail, which first reported the government is in the advanced stages of creating the holiday. Constitutionally, it is up to the provinces and territories to determine which statutory holidays exist in their jurisdiction. Federal legislation cannot force them to follow suit and implement a day to mark the horrors of the residential school system. So, is this is this a real a real policy issue like or is this bullshit? Is this window dressing? I don't want to say it's just <clears throat> window dressing or lip service because it is one of the TRC recommendations. But I think it is bullshit for the government to come out and announce this as a standalone thing when they've offered nothing else. And for ex- like whether it's clean water and like on like reserves or like the uh, building of infrastructure um, to connect people. We talked about like the Greyhound buses closing out West and how that's going to keep more people isolated from like health services. Like there are specific things they could do in terms of residential school legacy. I mean, there's education, there's other like things that they could add to this to make it more meaningful, whether it's, you know, saying they'll give money to the provinces that's earmarked for this type of work. When in Ontario, you have the provincial government saying that they're not going to, um, uh, change the curriculum around Indigenous um, peoples, Indigenous culture, and Indigenous history in the curriculum. In fact, they're not going to run it anymore. Um, so, like, we are so many steps behind being able to have a holiday that people understand the meaning of. I mean, just the outcry around the John A. McDonald statue in Victoria being taken down. Another Bernier tweeting special. Well, and everybody. (laughs) And, and like, it's really frustrating. I think, you know, uh, most people are against the statue being removed. And now, like, people at Queen's Park are saying, oh, Toronto will or Toronto... Toronto as in Queen's Park, but Ontario will buy the Victoria statue, will give it a home. Like, go fuck yourselves. Like, the First Nations communities, w- like, w- on which, like, Victoria exists on, like, unceded territory is, are, like, asking for this gesture, essentially, so that the, they don't have to, like, see the fucking mug of Sir John A. McDonald every time they go to access city services. Exactly. Like, it's literally the most basic thing, but the idea that statues are tell you history is also like so asinine. Okay, can we talk about Okay, thank you. Because monuments are erected for the victors. Period. That's what they're there for. Yeah. They're there to commemorate 
of victory yeah or 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 people who aided usually military victories usually yeah. yeah now this idea that a monument is history is fucking bullshit and I'm, I'm just tired of hearing this oh well you're just you're just not respecting our history first of all i don't know what our history is okay did my snaps come out on the mic? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I'm with you, girl. I'm feeling the vibe. Okay. Our history, our history is also incomplete. Yeah. And John A. McDonald started this whole residential school. That's right. Like genocide, yeah. basically. Yeah. And so I don't see why we should then be treating him as though he is you know, this great um, visionary for the country of Canada. He just happened to be fucking like the governor, not fucking the governor, but he just <laughs> happened to, to be the governor as Canada. I mean, I assume that he was, he was involved in talks or instrumental or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you there's know, the, whatever, like, you know, it, it, there's the, whatever happened at Confederation yeah. has, has its place. Obviously in history, that's how the state was developed. But if you want to talk about, history and talk about like the the quote-unquote founding of Canada so many people still using the language of two founding um two founding nations like the and it like also which also erases from the Quebecois perspective like what then became two solitudes and a lot of people feel like they weren't equal on equal footing and that it actually like you know Quebec was then marginalized but like it, it which so it's a revisionist history as well yeah not it like all of these things are told in a certain perspective there like the the idea of confederation of founding of two two na as a founding of two nations or two founded by two people is like a constructed narrative the way all states have these like a romanticized idea it's not an objective history it's not like people talk about it as if it's just a fact that's not the fact or people i like my least favorite is the excuse that that was the thinking at the time that that was the popular opinion of the day. That those were the values of the day. And I was like, No, they're white <laughs> values. Damn they're it! Like as if people at the time. I got into this on on the radio with Lawrence Martin, where he was like saying this. I was just like, I can't believe you're you, an intelligent person, can say that with a straight face. Like you're saying, like essentially, First Nations people, Indigenous people, for the last 150 years were like, yes, please take my children. I, I think that that's the, that's what the popular opinion of the day is or that during slavery, slavery slaves are like, ah, yes, I'm black. I must be owned. Like, yeah. no, they knew what freedom was. That's why people ran for their lives. Yeah. And that's why people like ended up dying in the wilderness because they were trying to like escape. That's why there were people who were like, you know, activists and like, tr like working towards emancipation and like we're and in, in the indi like indigenous context, like there were obvious, very obvious examples in history and a history that we don't often talk about. And you probably Lawrence Martin and everybody in Maxim Bernier were not educated in. Um, I have to just interject because I just saw a really awesome tweet about our BFF Maxim Bernier. Oh, good. He tweeted, uh, "We why not celebrate instead the heritage? This is about the holiday. Why not instead celebrate the heritage and renewal of Aboriginal cultures that would unite us all in a positive way? Cult of victimhood and obsession with past wrongs instead of focus on progress made. 
and to come or another sick character characteristic of extreme PC and multiculturalism. Um, I have to I'm going to quote Jennifer Ditchburn, who quote tweeted this and says, Maxim, you were 33 years old when the last residential school was closed. Please spend some time learning about intergenerational effects of the system today. Coming from a party of law and order that is, was, about victims' rights, you should be fighting for justice. Sometimes Jennifer so Ditchburn just pulls it out, so man. Good. So good. I gotta say that. Also, I will, I will quote from Chantelle Bear's same Toronto Star piece where she says, it may have escaped Bernier's attention, that the less diverse Canada of the recent past also happened to be a less enlightened one. Mm. And I think that just wraps it up, right? That's yeah. a, it's a wrap. Because, <laughs> like, I, I, you know, this, this whole, let's just say, everybody who you would expect to be against the removal of the statue, mm -hmm. I love how we're talking about totally different topics. Well, they're, they're, they're one and the same. Yeah. We're talking about residential schools and how we talk about the legacy of it. Right. I think the holiday is one thing. Mm -hmm. Removal of the statues also good. Like at the end of the day, this is, first of all, it's not PC culture and it's not multiculturalism that's asking for the statues to be removed. And when people like Maxim Bernier and like I, you know, getting into with like senators and like there are like all sorts of people online spewing this shit. Mm -hmm. It's not about PC culture. It, Andrew Shear said the same thing. It's political correctness gone amok, run amok. It's not about political correctness. This call is not coming from the social justice warriors you're deriding typically the university educate it's like literally coming from first nations communities in the case of victoria who have been working for over many years to get city to get the city to take this act very concrete action to like reduce the harm they experience yeah. every day it's, yeah it's n like i mean i don't like pc culture is a bullshit term but like also you're just erasing like the all the people who are doing work on this and their very specific experience and their sp specific experience with being marginalized exactly and how marginalized do you think you would feel if you had to walk by that statue every day, I'm I'm offended as a black person. I can only be I can only imagine having to live with that consistent reminder that you are nothing and that your rights were taken away from you and that you have second class status mm -hmm. in this mm -hmm. country. What about that fucking history? Mm -hmm. What about that? Why is it that? The people who support the statues, their rights are more important or their well-being are more important than the rights of the people who are subjugated by it. That's and my question. Absolutely. And not an ounce of sympathy has been uttered around. Like so many words spilled over the statue and what an like erasure of like history that is. And yet not an ounce of sympathy like for the victims, survivors, people who still are living to this day who are survivors of resi residential schools. The 90s. Like, it wasn't the last one closed in yeah. like 93 or something? Yeah, some, yeah. Like... Yeah, no, it's really, it's really fucked up. And the fact that... Like you I can, was of age. Like if you... <laughs> the fact that you, <laughs> you could know? focus your attention on on the statue without like turning your mind even remotely like the complete lack and other utter empathy um on display is it it shows you how um 
othered and in fact continued like continuously marginalized like first nations and and indigenous voices and aboriginal voices and how the voices in positions of power are further othering them Mm -hmm. and consistently do that Mm -hmm. with their with exactly their reaction like this yeah that's my other problem i want to bring in something you shared with our messenger group Mm. uh paul pam pam palmeter oh yeah and um, speaking of which, the Trudeau government um, has a $30 million Indigenous housing contest. Yeah, so I guess they have, a, I guess, an envelope of $30 million for housing on reserves. And they're offering, like, a contest for, like, reserves to make submissions around, like, how they would use that. So it's like this, like, weird, perverse, like, grant writing competition. Now, how does that work in terms of <laughs> treaty obligations? Because I, yeah. doesn't treaty obligations I don't mean know. that they, like, it's a federal responsibility? Yeah. Well, it's a federal responsibility, yeah, but it's, uh, I, I don't know where this $30 million comes from. It's really funny because this is the same government that is still fighting against um, federal court orders to pay uh, to pay more for ch- uh, children um, education and like ch- like funds for children in uh, First Nations communities because mm-hmm. the the funding per capita uh, between non in- non First Nations and First Nation children is so desperate that mm-hmm. they proved in court that that was actually a form of discrimination that the federal it is government a form had of discriminatory discrimination. spending. Actually, didn't the UN uh, come out and basically uh, say that Canada is di- does yeah, yeah, it's discriminatory no, for sure, for against sure. First but the, Nations. But the courts made an order that they had to pay like X amount. I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have it in nope, front of me because I think we talk about it, but it's something substantial. But all the same, they have had a, last I checked four, maybe it's five orders from the court ordering the federal government to pay out, and they just keep breaching the orders. So like really? they were just refusing like to pay the federal government. Yeah, yeah the federal government. The the diversity. It's 2015 federal government. Right, right, exactly. Well, I guess, the yeah. The window dressing they might, federal they government. They might host a contest, maybe a raffle, to see which which children get, get the money and which They don't. would, too. It's, it's just they so disgusting. They would do it, and they would like, pretend like yeah. it's just the best thing that ever happened. Yeah. yeah and absolutely. then you get people who are like, well, didn't they just get $30 million? And isn't the federal government somewhat claiming poverty at this point? Where they're like, well, we can't afford to do all the, you know, housing repairs or wastewater well, or something sure, like that. Sure, and there are a lot of issues with, with, with the housing. It's all built, like, anyway, so that is a thing. But to claim poverty and then ask people to, like, contest right their way in, like, is really kind of bullshit because then it just becomes like a contest of like the better in like the better endowed or like the richer like communities first nations communities will be with who or who you know have the better grant writers which i think is what pam yeah that's what she said well will necessarily have a leg up and maybe where there's more need and they're like really resource strapped like they'll go that'll go unnoticed like why don't you do a proper consultation and assessment of what the needs are and then like triage where the funding should go the way you would anything else instead of like putting this like weird contesty spit like why would you even like why is it even called a I contest but you know what there is a level of disrespect that for first nations obviously with you know, within Canada and by Canadians, yeah. those same Canadians that Jason Kenney and Maxine Bernier apparently seem to speak for, 
not only them, basically Canada, um, this level of disrespect Mm -hmm. to develop a contest because you, as the federal government, who stood up here and ran on indigenous issues, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not surprised, like, (laughs) the Liberal Party. Oh, my God. Okay, and... So he ran on federal, uh, he ran on indigenous issues, promised all of the, promised to take up the truth and reconciliation recommendations, all of that. I think he did anyway. Yeah. Um, and you come, your big policy proposal to fix First Nation housing is to run a fucking contest? Mm-hmm. Like, that level of disrespect. Well, and 30 million is piddly. Like, it 30, is nothing. 30 million is, like, what it's, it would cost to open, like, two high schools. Yeah, like, it's, it's it, changing like, the couch. I mean, I know we're talking about housing, but I'm, like, just I'm using my own frame of reference. Yeah. I'm, like, oh, like, that's literally nothing. Nothing. Like, it's, When yeah. I saw 30 million, I was, like, my God, they don't give a fuck. Yeah. Like, I don't know what they think they can do with 30 million. They know that 30 million ain't shit. No, and especially it's not shit where you're like going to build housing in a place where there's no clean water. Like, how are you? And no infrastructure. That's what I mean. No yeah, public you gotta, infrastructure. Like, set, yeah. So what are you going to do? Are you going to build infrastructure? Like, what are you doing? I yeah. don't understand. Yeah. And the thing is, is that you claim poverty now, but you just brought the Trans Mountain Pipeline. I know. So I, I'm just yeah, so... Yeah. Right over know. right over the same First Nations you purport right. to want to build housing in. There you go. Yeah. And then want to arrest people for protesting on it? Yeah, it's it's gross. Through their... Through First Nations land? I hope Nations people see land? through this shit, yeah. Like, like, I'm just thinking about the layers, and I'm just putting oh, this together right now, it's and so, now I'm upset. Like, it's like, peak, <laughs> it's so disrespectful. It it's is. like, yeah, it's it's awful. It's the disrespect awful. is real, yeah. is all I'm saying. I just, yeah. anyway. No, it became popular to say that you were for reconciliation, and no one know. and like, this is a legitimate critique um, of it, and certainly, like, there, you know, the... Um, very diverse indigenous community. Like when we say that, that's like a very big umbrella. Yeah. And, yeah. but like, there are a lot of people who also don't think the truth and reconciliation, um, tr- like the TRC speaks for them and yeah. think that the recommendations are like, you know, I mean, I'm sure there some are better than others, but that we're just not there. Like we're not at the point of reconciliation because so many people are in fucking denial that anything wrong has ever happened. And they're, and, folks who share who have this critique which i sort of see eye to eye with is like uh, aren't wrong because every day we're reminded that the majority of canadians and the majority of legislators don't think that there was colonization they don't believe that there was like you know occupation and then genocide like they don't they don't get that they think yes we wronged some people but that was how it was at the time they were you know, like they were conquered. Like people have still you, have that thinking. And yeah, I would because, say that's the majority of people. Because that's white fragility. Well, because people need to learn to decolonize their thinking, which is like a really far ways away from being then. And then after that, you can maybe talk about reconciliation. Yeah, but, but people, truth has to come first. Well, that is. The, and like, the truth, the truth aspect was all the, the work done with getting um, the fa- like the, the fact finding and the like um interviews and the like commissions work with with survivors of mm-hmm. residential schools that's the truth part mm-hmm. and that's what 
people should have been paying attention to and some did and 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 we talked a lot about it in 2015 as a country yeah but then we didn't teach it we didn't integrate in the curriculum nope it's not part i mean it's become more and more part of our language but not not to the extent that it needs to be and there are still people who are constantly trying to qualify it qualified the experience yes residential schools were awful but it's a blip in our history yes residential schools were awful but john 150 years sure. is a blip <laughs> in a hundred and but people don't get that that's but that's where the education is missing you know residential schools were awful but john a mcdonald did some other great shit residential but schools were typical. awful but you know it, it, first nation self-governance is still trash so some of it's on that like shit like that like racist yeah. ass shit like that Do, is you know, what the majority of people think you, you know what my favorite was this week so i got this tweet and it said that um the under um basically the john a mcdonald it was responsible for the underground railroad ew, 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 yeah ew. and i was just like <laughs> I literally laughed my ass off. I did. I was like, my God. Uh, anyway, yeah. I, you know, I, I truly believe that education in the schools on residential school, not only residential schools, yeah, but I mean, as a part of a whole project, colo- yeah. colonial project. Like deconstructing is, yeah, all that. Is necessary. Work, yeah. And when provinces decide they're going to do that, then I'll start listening. Otherwise, the re- like not only that but actually introduce the whole suite of how we're going to begin to start on this path Mm -hmm. it seemed like we were until this bullshit and now i'm like i i i just don't even know what where to start what to say anymore and i i I just don't i i don't even recognize yeah this country i really don't but then I do. <laughs> <laughs> on second hand, I do. And with that, we'll move on to rent and receipts. Welcome back. We're here at Rent and Receipts, where we each take a story and um, talk about it with the others and maybe rant a little bit. Who knows? Amy, what you got for us? All right. So I've been wanting to talk about this for a few weeks now, but we took our mini break. And so um, it's kind of fallen off. But fortunately, in the intervening weeks, it's really picked up in the media. And I'm very happy to see that more and more people are paying attention. Uh, I want to talk about the um, mass evictions at Gate here in Ottawa. So this is actually the largest urban eviction campaign in Canada. There are 400 people who are being forced to relocate from what is a low-income community that is very largely, I think it's 60 or 70 percent, made up of visible minorities, racialized people Uh, and people of color. So, mm -hmm. um, and also uh, a very um, immigrant community, a lot of um, newcomers, newer Canadians, uh, and so it's a huge, huge example of. One, issues of affordable housing, um, uh, gentrification, arguably, um, and certainly discrimination in housing. So, you know, it's uh, it's a very in, it's it's a very interesting and sort of ex- specific example. Um, being the largest in Canada, I think it, it requ- 
it merits a lot more um, a lot more eyeballs into to this story. Um, there are similar issues in, in with renters and low income communities happening across the country. Oh, and my <laughs> my phone just went off. Um, but it's um, yeah, I think it's there's just so many facets to take it. If the citizens been doing profiles of people who live at Herringate that are really touching and interesting and, and you get an insight into why this all matters. This is uh, the second time that Herringate, which is a community that was built in 90 s in, uh, in 1960. It involves like hundreds of units. It's a really big sort of project. Um, but the house, but the like homes have not been, it's like row houses and they have not been, well kept is this subsidized all. housing you're no, talking no 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 but it's like a low low income low rent and for folks oh, okay. who've been there for a long time like yeah. you know when it's also like multi like um you know dwellings for for families as well right so it's yeah a lot of people live there um you know have have children and it's hard to find anything more than like a one and two bedroom for like what they're currently paying especially because in of these, the way prices are yes now. Yeah. i was so, gonna say especially in ottawa now where the price like the rental prices are sorry totally totally and people have been lived there for a while have like the rent control built right. in of like having been there for some time right. so when they're going out to look you know like a family of five or six and you're trying to find housing it's actually like you know some of the examples like uh, you know, it's a thousand dollars more for even less space yeah. month that you would be paying. Yeah. So it's it's really something. Um, and a lot of uh, but so there was no maintenance on these buildings for a really long time. They were sort of like, you know, negligent. Um, I think it was Minto for a long period of time, and now it's Timber Creek uh, bought it out in the early two thousand. Oh, Minto, yeah. that big developer, and well, Ottawa? they're all big developers, yeah. and so it's Timber Creek that bought it. And what Timber Creek is saying is they want to deal with the repairs, and they it's dilapidated, and how can we fix it? Well, the only way to do it is to evict everyone, and they evicted uh, I I think a, a significant portion, maybe twenty percent, in uh, like evicted in like they can't come like back. That's it evicted so they're evicting people to do repairs well not to do repairs to demolish and rebuild so they're demolishing oh. so there was one phase in 2016 and people were evicted and there were actually some people who were evicted in 2016 who relocated to other homes within the same like complex okay in Herringate. and then now they have to do the net like the rest and again they were just demolishing it so with the first phase they're actually want to build like nice townhouses there and hence the people the suspicion that it's actually about gentrification yes it is uh, that they want to raise like build something nice raise the rents yeah bank rechange the entire landscape of the neighborhood right and and so for the folks who are in there now um in the like rest of it which is the majority you know some have been able to find new housing but those are often people who are more privileged yeah don't sp who don't who speak english as a first language right who have you know who you have you know study your employment or have been able to you know um find you know for whatever reason relocate but if you have kids and you your kids schools are in the area and you work in the area like to uproot your life to go find rent that's comparable to what you've been paying is almost impossible. This is like the Alta Vista area, like pretty close to downtown. Like it's not like so far. You'd have to go pretty In far Alta out. Vi no, to you'd have to go all the way <laughs> out to the airport. Yeah, like even for you'd be like out in the county. Yeah. Right? <laughs> To like find <laughs> comparable space. So it, anyway, it's really sad. The company for their part has said, well, you know, we'll give you I think they were offering people some small amount of money. 
but really wasn't going to make a huge debt for folks. And they offered them a quote unquote right to return uh, when they finish, God knows when, maybe five years from now, the new development. But there's no guarantees about what it will cost. They're not coming right. back for the same price, right? right? right. Like it's like, oh, you mm. can come back. But it's just like so interesting to think about what, how, like, how this community like lives and breathes and what it means to uh, evict people. Because like it, the stories people are telling are like we raise our kids together, like we babysit for each other. Like people, it's a like, community. Yeah, they're people, destroying people a real community. For, you yep. know, people go and help other uh, community members by being interpreters for them, helping them. You know, with like. Because it because it is also an immigrant community, it's like a lot of Somali and Arab so people. Question, and I have I have a, yeah. a a question for you. So um, I think that, or maybe an observation. The I would say the higher income you go in terms of a neighborhood, the less of a community it becomes. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I kind of see that. Like when I was reading this, I was like, oh, that's actually like just so cool yeah i was like and i'm sure i'm sure like (laughs) snotty ass people drive by herringate and are like that's like the ghetto and it's like well yeah but look twice like people have like that's what community means like there's a whole like organism happening like living breathing that has a barter system well and that's like responding yeah yeah it's dynamic yeah it's not yeah um, yeah and they're responding as a unit yeah, I think well, like, the activism has been really telling like they have this really awesome community association. You should everyone should check out their website like they're, they're what's the cert- community association. Um, it's I think called Caring Gate Tenants Association uh-huh. um, Tenant Coalition. Sorry. And they're like tracking all like all of the stuff they've made, like signs saying I'm not moving. They like did surveys and like have the demographic breakdown of the community and like yep. all of that stuff. Um, and like who so, and some people have been forced like some people were evicted uh, or like they're getting these eviction notices other people were forced to be evicted through like the the uh, Timber Creek faking like that they were no longer like good tenants and like trying to forcibly get them evicted this sounds like performance reviews at Nike <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> almost like the employer um, no it's it's super fucked yeah. up so yeah. they've, they've actually hired uh, a lawyer and they are good. taking this to landlord and tenant board which is one thing they're raising issues of discrimination. I don't know. There may be even complaints to the Human Rights Tribunal. They're lobbying the city. The city is sort of like kind of s- stepping back. So this was my next question yeah. is what is the response of the city? Specifically, our mayor, <laughs> Jim Watson, who has the dubious distinction of being our misogynist of the week twice <laughs> not even chris brown has reached <laughs> that level of distinction yeah i mean it's inter- like a few weeks ago and i don't know if this has changed i mean it certainly will have changed with the candidates but a few weeks ago the Harrogate tenants uh, association had said that they had invited um all the city councilors to come and meet with them and and talk about what's going on there and none of them took them up on the offer you're kidding yeah no i'm serious but um you know, eventually, I think the mayor Watson did end up meeting with them, but there's not really much that the city is seems to be willing to do. Um, you know, they're mayor Watson hates poor people. <laughs> I you know what? They're, I will, They're just saying they don't I will have say the, that in public. I give no fucks, but he sure. really does. He hates poor people. What he wants is to develop the the downtown area into so he can get more tax dollars. 
That's basically mm-hmm. it. He just wants to develop and develop. It's this MBA mentality uh, to public yeah. policy that I hate. Mm-hmm. I absolutely hate it. Well, and because it's just everybody, remember we were just talking about yeah. the commodification of yes, people yes. in This Week in Feminism. That's exactly what it is. Mm. Well, they only they only produce this this many tax dollars. Maybe, you know, yeah, they're renters. They're not paying property. They're tax, not paying so property their city tax. Doesn't see any of their taxes? Right. Yeah. Even though they're paying rent, which yeah, goes into yeah, taxes, absolutely. right? No, but it's it's really ignorant. I mean, there, the Tenants Association or Coalition's response uh, after that meeting was that they were like completely dissatisfied with it. Essentially, said like we can't do anything for you. There's no creative solutions, right? Like there is no creativity on the part of the city. There's no sense that there's a housing crisis. There's no set like there's no there's very little single family dwellings. Condos that go up have one or two bedrooms. Like there's no place for people to go even if they could afford to go there as yeah, well because like, then you're looking at townhomes yeah which just like we've, there's, we've there's seen no vacancy like the vacancy rates are really low and they're hella expensive they're hella expensive the way that they're being built now so yeah. you need affordable housing where is the where is the city to lobby the provincial government where is the city to do like jim watson the heavy lifting or people. offer <laughs> or or you know the city also has on its books bylaws that could force developers building new buildings to make sp- like affordable low income housing. They they have the like the power to compel developers to do that, and they never avail themselves yes. of those bylaws. Yes. They yes. you know they are in the pocket of developers like a hundred percent there's no way to see it otherwise yeah like why shouldn't lands like why shouldn't like a big chunk of lands down just be townhouses like the new like why can't we put affordable housing in the glebe yeah like i i'm here for mixed neighborhoods first of all totally okay because the high income neighborhoods need to learn what it's like to be in a community because they don't fucking know. They don't want to help anybody. They don't even want to say hi to their neighbors. Okay. Actually, coming to think of it, there are people across the street from where I live. I live in Hintonburg, people, um, which is gentrification central. They don't even say hello. Mm-hmm. I waved to them once and they were like, oh. And hmm. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know? I And so I'm like, so that's one thing that higher income people could actually learn to get fucking involved in a community, mm-hmm. in the community that's around them mm-hmm. instead of complaining and calling the cops on people. Yeah. And of course, I mean, obviously, like, I think that's one of the things that though th- those kinds of neighborhoods bring something that in the wake of our sort of battle with loneliness in this country could actually help Mm -hmm. i'm just saying Mm -hmm. um by the way they say that loneliness is going to be one of those great killers you know like sitting oh yeah yeah Yeah. anyway well i'll just as a final note say that there is a gofundme page oh yes with the uh legal rep like legal work that needs to be done on representing folks at the landlord what's the address uh oh i don't even know but or what's the name of the (laughs) fund I have it. I have it. Hang on. I'm not organized enough. It's essentially you go to GoFundMe, which I guess is how we do all of our, um, you know, yeah, social- because we can't count on the government. Exactly. So it's even so though it's up. their responsibility, they might run a contest. Seriously. <laughs> their goal is 10000 They have $4,600 in the fund now. Herring Gate Legal Defense Fund. And. 
you know, there's uh, already 64 people have contributed to it. The eviction date is September 30th. Fuck off. Yeah. And a lot of people are insisting that they're not going to leave on September 30th. The city can't uh, allow the demolition to happen until every and they will until everyone is left safely. That's right? why people chain themselves so to doors and shit. That that may be the the tactic, but people are they're asking Harrogate for, or they're asking Timber Creek for more time so that folks can sort sort a way out. And what did Timber Creek say? Uh well, they'll I guess they'll see them at the landlord and tenant board for uh. a decision. So, if uh, you know, Take some time, read, read, read about this. There's a great article in Vice. There's a great article, multiple oh, articles. Oh, Vice the, has gotten on Yeah, this. there's Good. multiple articles in The Citizen. Read the profiles. You'll, there's no way you won't be moved and frustrated and, and contribute to the GoFundMe. Jean Cloutier is the city council for Ward 18, Alta Vista, which is Herringate. Yeah. And so, he has many competitors and many great people, uh, you know, like uh, other good options. So, in other words, if you give a shit yeah. about poor people, don't vote for this motherfucker. That's right. So, there are there is a municipal election in Ottawa this year. We really need to be real and actually turn up. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a great segue just to say that we are part of a Now What Ottawa campaign to really put um, gendered issues on the ballot, basically. And so um, definitely I always get questions as to how can I get involved this is one of the ways you can get involved. So basically, um, I'm sure Herringay Community Tenants Association has a Facebook page. I'm sure you can message them. I'm sure you can email them. They have a We Told You Their GoFundMe page. You can sign up at Now What Ottawa to start making change at nowwhatot.com or CA, com. So, as, you know, as an example of how these things, in other words, when I say these things change, happens, it doesn't happen from your couch. It happens with you getting involved in your community. Anyway, that's my, that's my, you know, my speech. And now I'll move on. (laughs) Are you good? I'm good. Yes. Thank you. So, um, by the way, I'm glad that did come up the Herringate one because mm-hmm. I was actually at uh, an event and somebody I learned about it like weeks ago because somebody had br- somebody was actually working as like a grassroots campaign yeah, yeah. to get the current um, city councilor out mm-hmm. because of the like they're working more the political yeah, angle yeah, yeah. but um, it is part of that work yeah. so when we say do the work that's what we mean and trust me, you can learn a lot more than Google can dev- ever tell you when you actually get involved and get mm-hmm. your hands dirty. Sure. So anyway, um, so I'm going to go to California. Uh, so as we all know, California has been battling wildfires. And the question now becomes, who battles those wildfires? So incarcerated Californians have been helping to battle wildfires since World War II and as a, 
as of 2017, made up nearly a third of the state's forest fighting force. In a July 31st tweet, the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation praised the, quote, more than 2,000 volunteer inmates, firefighters, including 58th youth offenders, end quote, working to contain the current fires. And as of 2017, there were about 250 incarcerated female firefighters in the state. There are a number of concerns. The first concern is the way the department characterizes the voluntary nature of the firefighting force. Mm. Offenders in California can earn two days off their sentence for every one served firefighting fires. That makes joining the program especially attractive to mothers and others, e- others eager to return their f- to their families, but may also make their decision-making process less than voluntary. I would say coerced. Totally. Second issue is the issue of pay. Salaried firefighters in California earn $74,000 a year plus benefits. Meanwhile, incarcerated firefighters make $2 a day when they're in the fire camps, plus an additional dollar a day when they're out fighting a fire, leading some prisoners' rights activists, advocates, to charge that these conditions that the conditioners prisoners work under amount to slave labor. So the state estimates it saves about $100 million annually by employing prisoner firefighters at cheap rates. Finally, there is what happens to prisoners after they're released. In some states, including Arizona, incarcerated firefighters are allowed to start careers in the industry once they're released. This isn't the same for California. That's because prisoners don't receive sufficient training to apply to the California Department of Forest and Protection for employment upon release. Moreover, in California, people with criminal records are not able to obtain EMT licenses, which are important in terms of applying for firefighting posts. However, in January, California Governor Jerry Brown proposed spending $50 million to provide job training for prisoners, including $26.6 million, to enable a group of 80 parolees to become firefighters. The California legislator, uh, legislature approved the funding in June, although it's clear, unclear when the program will actually start. That's fucked up. Yeah, it's so fucked up. I, I could not believe it when I, I first read that story. Um it's uh i mean i don't think we can like really mince words like it is a life or death job and there in fact are multiple firefighters who've died fighting this california fire specifically in the last few months yeah no joke so basically what we're saying is that you're you have no value that's basically what we're saying to human beings okay and it's also interesting that I, it, it seems the article seems to say or seems to imply that it disproportionately affects women. And because women, A, are usually the glue, the family glue, let's say, mm-hmm. number one. So women are going to want to return to their families as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Number two is women have, you know, children at home that they want to get back to. And I mean, I, I just, 
I just this commodification of people I that we keep that seems to run through this entire episode is is shown here. It's it this is disgusting. And when they come out, they can't even join like a fi- like the department of what fire or forestry or whatever. They can't even join a job that they had performed. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, th- that part is really absurd because the the main argument people have for labor in prisons is that it gives job skills and a sense of purpose and humanity to prisoners. That's what people like. That's people love to make that argument. I'm not agreeing yeah, with it, yeah. but people love to say, you know, otherwise they just be sitting there. It gives them a sense of purpose. And, and you actually do find a lot of prisoners advocate for getting the chance to, to do something purposeful sure. and, and, and during their time. Um, this isn't it. No. Like this is the opposite of that, because then you come out, you've, you've been working alongside re- like, you know, certified firefighters doing the same exact work. You come out, you get no credit really for it in society. You can't like rely on it for m- employment on the other end. And you never were treated in any way by any equal measure or compensated for the time you did it. And you're just, it's like, a nu- it's, it's actually dehumanizing. It, I can't imagine leaving prison and not li- and, and like, and, you know, if you want to think about like re- recidivism rates and like, or just like how to, you know, get people to um, be better integrated back into society and whatever else, like outside of prison, like how do you do that? Well, it's not by like, you know, th- what I think is like just like such a huge act of, of disrespect, but like people also seem to like not understand, like when someone is in prison, like they're serving their sentence and like gi- like giving back societies them serving their sentence it's us taking their freedom and liberty away as as a society and as the state in other words their debt is paid their debt is the fact that they can't do anything yeah. like well like you know with like a warden's permission honestly like this sounds like an I- unpaid internship well but, <laughs> like, no, but, no, but i mean like the the serve like what i'm saying is like the prison Mm-hmm. sentence itself is what they owe society yes it's not also free labor then on top of it right like it's the restriction on f- on freedom and mobility and like you know not being able to see your feet like all of that is that not enough but now on top of that you have to come out risk your life uh we're gonna use your body for like manual labor in some cases making license plates making product i mean actually the list of companies that like the Victoria's Secrets of the world or whatever. I think that was one of them. Like it's like a crazy list of like very like well known and like established companies. Victoria's Secret is getting slave labor and they still want to charge us 15 fucking well, dollars a thing. penny. Yeah. Let me let me you keep talking. I'll pull up the yeah. list of all the uh, prison labor companies. I, so I I see this as an indentured servitude and just another another it's just the remix of indentured servitude. And I also find um like this type of labor also has a racist history too Mm, because of chain gangs and people who ran away from like slave masters or whatever or if they weren't if they weren't returned to the the plantation and get their ass beat then um you know like convicted felons meant that anything like you were sitting at the wrong 
lunch table. Yeah. Okay, that's not necessarily slavery. That's post, but you know what I'm saying. Um, but but just even the idea like of the the new Jim Crow being, right. being the prison system it right? is is yeah. in a, um in and of itself like part of like all all rooted in this this history. I will read Michelle Alexander's book one of these days. The new Jim Crow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will. It's on my list. Um, and it's this. What kills me is that there is a long history of labor or or slave labor close to slave labor being used in america to build america because you're telling me that victoria's secret isn't making pure bank out of just the difference between between what they're selling their panties for i'm using panties and what they're what they're charging sort of labor like you got to be kidding me I I just yeah. I, at this point I mean I think that I think that one of the things we have to do as a society is really rethink all of these institutions that we are convinced are so important and we have to think about how these policies that these institutions um create mm-hmm. affect different people like different people, like women, LGBTQ. Why can't we look at policy through that lens? I don't yeah, understand. Absolutely. Well, and then just like recognizing like, you know, a lot of our own financial security is built on the backs of people who don't have, um, who, who are working for free. Like the yeah. reason people profit, the reason corporations are are raking in such profits the reason like you know is because they're in in the same way that you know the u.s was built on on slavery it wasn't because of like some ingenuity or like like, whatever it's like literally someone goes without because and like that's what where the profit margins come from so here's the here are some examples from like the boycott list whole foods apparently yeah whole foods coffee chocolate and bananas might be fair trade no, no, no 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 go back say that again Whole Foods is using like prison labor. Apparently. Go on. Yep. Looking Uh, at you, liberals. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the tilapia, the $12 a pound tilapia you thought you were buying from a sustainable American family farm was raised by prisoners in Colorado who were paid 74 cents a day. Same with goat cheese and milk. There There are farms that are farmed by prisoners. McDonald's, it made so the McDonald's uniforms. Walmart purchases produce from prison farms. Victoria's Secret, um, that's uh, I guess that's been a common, long known one. Uh, there were apparently in the 90s two prisoners who were placed in solitary confinement for telling journalists that they were hired to replace the made in Honduras garment tags with tags that said made in the U.S. So that was the job that they did. Wait a minute. Okay, so I'm glad you brought up this made in the USA thing. Okay. (laughs) So, you know, we're all, like, trained, you know, politicians love to train us to basically love anything that's made in our respective countries. Yet nobody goes further than that and, and is like, what are the conditions under which people in our country are making these yeah 
these garments, these products. Well, and fair trade and fair trade for who? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Fair trade for whom? Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, you know, these companies have benefited from that fair trade label. Well, Whole Foods. Damn. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, of course, because it's Amazon and Amazon can't pay people well, it's either. Amazon now. This predates Amazon, but it's, it's everyone. It's Costco. It's John Deere. It's ExxonMobil. It's Johnson & Johnson. It's Kmart. It's Coach, it, like Koch Industries, Merrick, Microsoft, Motorola, Nintendo, Pfizer, Procter & Gamble, Pepsi, ConAgra Foods, Shell, Starbucks, UPS, Verizon, Walmart, Wendy's. And it's like not their whole operation, like no, you know, no, no. And it's I not know, maybe yeah. their principal product, but like in the case of Victoria's Secret, like prisoners were just like changing, made in Honduras, like like the the layers of. So first of all, Victoria's <laughs> Secret's products were made in Honduras by people who are making very little as well. No, then but that wasn't good the, enough. Yeah, then they, no. that wasn't good enough. They had to bring them to the U.S., take out the label. They use prisoners to take off the label, put in made in USA labels, so then they can sell it for to you for an even a di- further markup. And neither of those levels of, of labor were were compensated at all, if well. You know, it's I so fucked. I always say the labor movement. I may have said this in the last podcast, but the labor movement um, th- could have been strong had it not been divided by race and immigration sure possibly yeah it it would have been like it could have been i can only imagine what you know labor would look like now but it's also like capitalism will always find a way to do things more cheaply and will find a way to get you to buy into like one like wanting like it's like brand obsession brand fixation that we have as a society and as a culture which like we've all been like indoctrinated to think like speaks for quality or like a Mm -hmm, certain mm -hmm. guarantee or our trustworthy like the trust that we have in corporations yeah um is just like so i mean you know labor movements and and people can can organize but we're but if you're you're organizing in a certain system Mm -hmm. you know that like is is we've you know we've all sort of like accepted this like until we accept that we can create a different system or that we can exist outside of capitalism or start to distrust or have at least a natural like you know inquisition into like looking at companies with like some uh you know like with without this like <laughs> reverence mm-hmm. i like i don't even know yeah like, there, how we there is a reverence like, yeah yeah and like like until we can do that until we can move away and like or break down that thinking and start think about like well what would we want a society to look like what would we want a market to look like like an economy to look like does it because it doesn't have to be this but we're sold on this idea and if we continue to try to make this better like it's there will always be a move towards making profit on the backs of people i feel like i feel like a str- like I, I guess that's the assumption that I'm making that a, a stronger sort of like like labor sort of movement when I say movement like it wasn't as fractured as it mm-hmm. was at, at least at the turn of the no, no, ne- and there the were like 20th tactics, century right? would have yeah. would have I'm assuming I guess my assumption is that it could have forged a new way sure I mean but like 
again, it was like intentionally thwarted. Oh, right? for and, sure. Like, all this yeah. like union busting legislation that we're still seeing in the states and here in Canada. I'm convinced um, that that's why the Republican Party, um, like camp, like obviously they're racist, but you know, post Civil War, that that that's why they took kind of white working class under their wing so that because the white working class that was disaffected mm-hmm. by the civil rights mm-hmm. movement mm-hmm. i feel like that's why mm-hmm. because it it ensured that they could say to these people hey don't worry if you don't have like medical care yeah. or whatever you're white it's fine yeah. you're not those well, people but yeah, i and i feel yeah. like that's yeah part of sure. the fracture and that's sure. how it was constructed well the whole idea of like uh, w- yeah whether it's around race in a blatant way or like in a subtle way yeah. or and the talk around elitism yeah. mm-hmm. or or just like liberal elites and yeah. the coast like that's yes. how they get the mid well, like you know yeah middle america thing like yes. this idea that like there are liberal elites and there's two americas and yes you're, and you're part of like you know they're the real one the hard-working yes one. and so you have people the who, heartland for, for sure and you have like people like you know it's like what's the matter with kansas it's like a book that talks about there are like a lot of people who've opined about this over the years it's nothing new but it's like in and it's funny because we we still can't seem to work through that 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 like targeted language, but it's like you get people whose farms were bought out by like Tyson, like family yes. farms bought out by yeah. Tyson, and they're still voting Republican, yeah. Even though like they're like oh, it's it's a direct connection to like the you know like Republican polit like you know big business because it's their identity, that, yeah. it's their entire identity, mm-hmm. and um you know. Yeah, you there. It's like I feel like the Republican Party shaped their their identity over time. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, yeah, and it's certainly changed, but it's it's now it's yeah, it's it's it is a form like it's funny or politics. No, 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 no. But it is a form of identity. The idea of um, it. I mean, it's funny because people like scholars were writing about identity politics before we have this like new conception of identity politics. Um, but like the sense that like, yeah, you construct a narrative of mm-hmm. the type of person and then you tell people like, this is you. And, and the other way to describe it is like a moral politics, like, mm-hmm. and, and to say like, in, and that's how you get division on wedge issues or moral issues mm-hmm. and saying like, you know, again, whether it's an elite or not like, or whatever, or, um, and then working class narrative or, yes. or whatever it is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But, and um, it's funny because Reagan was really good at that, mm-hmm. at, at constructing that narrative, that John Deere, American heartland, um, John Cougar Mellencamp records <laughs> type, you know, sure. like this this idea that those are the true Americans. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this idea well, that those are the true Americans. Sure. Yeah. 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 Yep. So. um now we're out <laughs> that was abrupt i know okay so y'all i'm gonna attempt to do aaron's job <laughs> so we'll see how well that works i always forget our instagram i i just i'm sorry so we'll, we'll just go so um first off check us out on first of all check out now what ottawa Go to the website. Um, If you're in the Ottawa area this fall, sign up, volunteer with us. We're going to have, we just released our platform and we're going to have 
just some interesting shit happening. And, you know, come out and meet some people, man. That's another good reason. Hang out. You want to contact us? Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash bad and be podcast on Twitter at bad and bitchy on Instagram at bad and bitchy pod. Um, email us love notes, suggestions. Give us your misogynist of the week suggestions, everybody. And uh, that email is badandbpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our Patreon because then you'll get our super awesome newsletter that Amy puts together every month. (laughs) And you can find us at patreon.com forward slash badandbitchy. That's it, you guys, for this week. We'll see you. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. 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 Bye.